Okay, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get one to you. And if you have yours, open it to the book of 1 John. We're continuing our series in 1 John. And this is actually our part six of this video, our video series. I'm thinking of the, the, the I mixed up. I didn't get enough coffee this morning. Uh, this is part six of our series, Tests of Life, that we've been going through in 1 John. As we started off and we looked at John's reason for writing this, he wrote this epistle so that we could know that we have eternal life. And we talked about this life that is connected to God himself. It isn't just a life that God gives. It's a life that God has and that we get to partake of that. It's a life that is found in God and in Jesus himself. We talked about this life that is a life of truth and a life of love. It's not a life of deception, that God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. And that we're to walk in this light as he is in this light. And so we're to live lives of truthfulness, a life of honesty, a life of love. That this is a mark of those who have this life within them. We also saw that this was a life of intent. That it was a life of direction, of moral purpose. We talked about that sin isn't just something that you do wrong that it is a failure to acknowledge the purpose of your life that God has given to us. And that sin is not a problem for God. It's not something that God can't get past. But what God can't get past is this denial, this lack of recognition of error in us. And the life that God wants to give us is a life that has this intent and this purpose. We also saw that it was a life of identification, that those who know him need to walk as he walked. It was a life of obedience, but obedience was an expression. It wasn't an obligation that we are obeying him and keeping his laws, and that actually brings us freedom. It's something that we desire to do because now there's been a change within us. And last week we saw that this life is not a life that this world gives. That the world and what it offers, the, the desires, the cravings of our sinful nature, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it, it's not from God but of this world. But the, the life that God is giving is a life that endures forever. And we're going to take a little turn here in chapter 3 as we kind of turn and enter this topic and this discussion of love. And this is something that's going to be paramount not only today but next week as well. And in chapter 3, if you'll read with me verses 1 through 3, John writes, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. My children, when they were younger, 
we used to go to Magic Mountain, and we'd do this once a year. We would take a day out during the week when it wasn't crowded and when it wasn't a peak season, it wasn't the summertime, and we would get some of their friends and we'd go to Six Flags Magic Mountain. At the first couple of times, we would fool them, we would trick them, we would pretend we were doing something else. And that was hard because you don't just drive to Magic Mountain by accident, you know, it's kind of out there. And so we'd make up, oh, Dad had to, you know, get something from this guy at work. We're just going to go and pick that up. But then you guys are going to go back and got to go to school, you know, something like that. And so we'd be driving. And once you hit that hill, you know, you see the Six Flag Magic Mountain sign. And then you get off the freeway and they, ah, you know, they'd be all excited. Going to Magic Mountain did it more for me than for them. You know, it just had this love for roller coasters. But some of the kids really enjoyed roller coasters. My daughter's one of those. She's a thrill seeker. Even when she was too short, we'd get the platform shoes so she could make the line, you know. Because, boy, it was just hellish if she couldn't go on them, you know. And she'd be, ah, you know, as her brother's on them. And so we, we figured this way to work the system and, and, you know, cheat death, I guess. You know, she made the line and we'd get her on it. She just loved it. But some of the kids weren't that thrilled. My wife was one of those who, you know, she liked it, but she just wasn't, every now and then she goes, oh gosh, why am I doing this? Why am I going on this? I know I'm going to die. <laughs> and you see, that, that was the thing, is, is some of us could get on the ride and we had total confidence in the engineering and in what was taking place in this ride that, you know, the chances of dying on it were, were less than getting struck by lightning. And so we're willing to take those chances just to have that feeling, that rush of adrenaline so we could know, man, oh, this is great, you know, going upside down, going backwards, you know, going on that G-force where you start to black out. It, that's the excitement of the ride that you just enjoy those things. But then there's those who think, you know, I could die. There could be an engineering failure, either with the ride or with my heart, either one, you know, that I don't know if I'm going to live. And so there is a fear of actually getting on because of the uncertainty of the safety that is there. Where those who have the assurance that I'm not going to die on this, it's just fun, have no problem going on it. And let's go on this one and let's go on that. And you see, there, there is a certainty that we can have in our lives that can help us through all of life. And that's what John is talking about here. When he says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, it's not a question. It's an exclamation. I know in the King James it says, Behold what manner of love the Father. And again, it sounds like a question. I think the New American Standard says, Now see what great love. And what John is doing is exclaiming how great this love is. That we would be called the children of God. It's an exclamation of amazement mixed with gratitude. This acknowledging what God has done is just incredible. 
And it's supposed to be a foundation for us. It is supposed to be something that we can bank on, build our lives on, trust in. And it's something that he exclaims how great this is. And he goes on and he says, how great is this love that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Another exclamation. Do you understand how great this love is? Do you understand that we are now his children? That's what we are. And this is such an important foundational truth. It's something we find in Scripture throughout. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about this as well. In verses 17 to 19. He writes, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, get that picture, rooted, established, what? In love. Whose love? May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, here's another picture that you might know what is beyond your ability to know, that you might be filled with the measure of God. How, How full is that? That is more than you can contain. And so here is this establishing, this rooting in the love of God that is in Christ. John says, how great is the love that God has lavished on us. What? That we can be his children. And that's what we are. You and I are going to go through things in this life that are going to challenge us, that are going to make us question God's love. You and I are going to experience things that are going to be difficult, that are going to be trying. And we are going to wonder, does God love me? If God loves me, why is this happening to me? And the reason this happens is because we have our faith in the wrong things. We have our faith in circumstances, just like he talked about last week, the love of this world, the things that we desire, the the things that we see, the, the place that we feel we deserve in this world. But the world, remember, is postured and living apart from God. Its future does not include God. And we want to be a part of that future many times. And then we separate ourselves from this knowledge that the life God gives and those who do his will abide forever, that there is something longer lasting. And what Paul talks about here in Ephesians and what John is talking about in 1 John is that there is a foundation, a love that we can build our lives on that is sure. And we need to know this if we are going to move forward in our lives, that he is God and he knows what's best. Not only does he know what's best, 
He loves you. And those are the things that are going to carry you through the times when you don't understand what's going on. When the job fails, when health fails, when tragedy befalls your family, your children, when circumstances change, you need to be rooted and established in the fact that God loves you. It hasn't changed. Your circumstances will change. This world is decaying. This world is not trustworthy. There is not a job, and we should know that by now, that is secure. There is not health that is guaranteed. These things that we want and that we depend on and that we look to in our status of comfort and security, they're not guaranteed. And when they falter, God does not. His love hasn't changed for you. He still cares about you. And not only does he care about you, he knows what's best. He is going to see you through, even though it feels like the bottom has fallen out. And we have to hold on to this. You see, he tells us the depths of this love that he has lavished on us, that we would be called the children of God, that he would adopt us into his family. And that's the idea here, is is God has adopted us. He has made us his own. He has given us his name. He, He says, now, you belong to me. You are a part of my family. I care for you. And everyone who is a parent here knows the bond that takes place when it is your child that's involved. You know, you could be in a park and something's going on and all of a sudden something takes place. I, I remember one time we were out in, it was somewhere out in Chino and it was a park and we were there with the church softball league and as we were all there getting ready to play softball, I was there with Lauren, I think she was the only one was there, Corrine was coming with the other boys later and we were waiting to play this game and all of a sudden there were some shots that rang out there at the park. hear this pop, and all of a sudden people start running, screaming, going, and the first thing that came into my mind is, where is my daughter? I don't care about anything else. Where is my daughter? And I'm looking around because she was playing with some of the kids, and until I saw that she was safe, I could not rest. I could not be in peace. That's all that mattered to me was, where is my daughter? And you have to understand that when the bottom falls out in your life, God says, where is my daughter? Where is my son? Where are you? Are you okay? He cares about you. You've been brought into his family. You're his child. Nothing matters more. How do we know that Jesus gave his life so that this could be possible? That's what he had to do so that you could be adopted. 
into this family. You know, I, I was adopted, and I know that sounds funny because you, you think of orphan children. At least I always do, you know. But as my mom remarried, and I took my stepfather, had to go through this legal process so that I could actually have his name. And so I went through the court process, and I remember there the judge saying, you know, do you want this? I forget how old I was, like 12 years old or something like that. I said, yeah, sure sounds good to me. You know, and so I, I was adopted, and... It was funny because they actually gave me a new birth certificate. And it's as if, you know, I had this birth certificate before of when I was born, and it had my original name, which was Earl, and then I was adopted, and I got a new birth certificate. Are you guys laughing at my new... And I got a new birth certificate, and it came with the name Scotty. And it's like, it's like no, you were always a Scotty. I was born Scotty. But no, I've got this old one. No, you were given a new birth certificate. As if that one doesn't even matter. That one doesn't even count. And you see, you've been adopted into the family of God as if this is all that it is. I remember one time I was pulled over by the police for something. It was nothing, really. Uh, you know, some traffic violation, I got pulled over, and I gave him my license, and he came back, and he says, well, why does your name come back on our computer as Earl? Like, he busted me, like I had some alias, like some, you know, thing going on, and I was like, well, that was my adopted name, I don't know. And it was so funny, because his countenance changed, he was like, oh, you were adopted, you know? And I got out of the ticket, so I was happy. <laughs> That has nothing to do with the study, but I just <laughs> wanted to share that, that we have been adopted into this family. And he has made us his children. And he wants us to count on his love. It has been lavished on us. And it is greater than we can imagine. It is it is wider, it is longer, it is higher, it is deeper than your ability to grasp. It is a love that can secure you when you're going through whatever you have to go through. God wants you to know, I still love you. Do you remember John the Baptist? And he sent his disciples to go talk to Jesus, and he said, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Now, why would John ask him that? I mean, John was there when the Spirit came upon him and said, this is my beloved son. He, he told his disciples that you need to follow him. He must increase, I must decrease. John knew, didn't he, that Jesus was the one? Why would he say, are you the one or should we look for the others? Well, where was John? He was in jail. What was going to happen to John? He's about to be beheaded. Now put yourself in this situation. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the one. Everyone, this is the man. Follow him. And then you get taken and thrown into jail. You're the one who's testifying. I'm serving you, God. I'm giving my life for you. I'm telling everyone about who Jesus is. In fact, I've told everyone that they need to follow him. Don't follow me. And now I get thrown in jail and I'm about to be beheaded. 
Okay, it's been a couple of days now. I've been in jail. Jesus is going to come through any time now. He's the man. He's the Messiah. He's going he's to bust me out of here. All power of heaven is on him. Surely God doesn't want me here in jail. I'm useful to God. I've told people about God. I know what's going on with who he is. I can tell others who he is. If I just get out of jail, a week goes by, however much time goes by, and then you find out that things are getting worse. They're not getting better. And so he says, hey, guys, come here. What's Jesus doing? Oh, he's out talking. There's people following him. I wonder if he forgot that I'm here in jail. I mean, I'm speculating. We don't know what went on in John's mind. But at some point, he says to his disciples, go see if he's really the one. And then Jesus sent words back to John through his disciples. And he says, tell them what you see. And, And he lists the things that are found in Isaiah that give evidence that he is the Messiah, the blind see. The lame walk, the the poor are getting the good news preached to them. Yeah, I'm doing the things that the Messiah is going to do. And then he gives one other word to John's disciples to give back that wasn't found in Isaiah. But he says, blessed is he who is not offended in me. And what he's telling John is, John, I'm I'm not coming for you. But I am the one. Don't be offended that your life isn't being played out the way you want it to be. I'm still the one. I still love you, even though your job or your health or you fill in the blanks isn't going like you want. Don't be offended in me. Don't lose hope. I'm still the one. I'm still the one who loves you more than anyone else. And and the amazing thing about God is the one who knows you best. The one who knows everything about you. Those hidden secrets that you don't let anyone else in on. Those things that you're ashamed of. Those things that you're afraid someday someone is going to find this out about me. Someone someone is going to know the truth of who I am. God says, I know it. And the one who knows you best is also the one who loves you the most. I know everything about you, and I still love you. How great is that love? It's been lavish, and and I want you to be a part of my family. I want to adopt you. But God, look at me. Look at the things that are in me. Look at the things that are a part of who I am that are just, I don't even like who I am sometimes. And God says, I want to take you. I want you to be my child. Don't be offended, though, if your life doesn't play out the way you want it to. I have adopted you to myself. I have made you into my family. Now, he's made us his children. He's made us his family. And he goes on in verse 2. Dear friends, now we are 
children of God. Now we are. This is something we are. How, how do you get to be the child of God? What, what does that look like? And how, I mean, is everyone just born the child of God? Well, we can go back to John and his gospel. John chapter 1, in verse 12 and 13, he says, Yet to all who receive him, receive Jesus. To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. So this is how you get into this family. This is how we are adopted. It is through Jesus. Those who put their faith, their trust in Jesus, those who believe in him, his name means who he is, that he is indeed the Messiah. Those who are not offended in him, who say, yeah, you are the one I trust with my life. I'm going to get on this coaster. I believe you will keep me safe. I believe that you are able to get me through to the end. I have faith, confidence in you. And so this isn't just everyone is born and everyone is a child of God and and we put flowers in our hair or whatever you think of, you know, when you think of children of God. These are those who have faith in him, those who believe in his name. That's who John is writing to. And so this is how we know that we are the children of God because we have put our faith in him, Jesus. We have confidence in him. And that's how we become a part of this family that God has brought us into. We believe in him. He's now given us the right, the privilege to be called his children. And back in 1 John, he says... We are the children of God. That is something that we are now. And what we will be has not yet been made known. In other words, there's the future here and how this is going to play out. It's, we don't know exactly what we will be. We have an idea. What's the idea? We know that when he appears, talking of Jesus again, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And now is this place where we're getting the identification. He's already said, as he is, we are to be in this world. We have been adopted. Jesus says that you are now my friends. You are my brothers. You are my sister. And I know that's a strange concept for us to think that Jesus is my brother. But the idea is to say that we have been made like him, given the same status and privilege that he was as the son of God. And as we put faith in him, God says, I now adopt you and see you as I see my own son. Even though he was perfect and you are imperfect, I will grant you his righteousness and will see you in light of him so that now we have access to the very throne of God with confidence and we cry out, Abba, Father, Dad. Oh, how great. Love has just been lavished on us that God has made us his children. And it says, the Father. It doesn't say, our Father. It doesn't say, your Father. When John says, see how great the Father, it's the same principle when it says the Lord. It's the idea of this is 
God. When that article is put before the word Kyrios, that means Lord, it means the God. And when he says the Father, he wants our minds to go to this understanding. I'm talking about God here. I'm talking about the one who measures the universe in the span of his hand. I'm talking about the one who created everything you see in the order that is in it. I'm talking about the one who is everlasting from beginning to end. The one who is beyond your ability to know as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are above your ways and beyond finding out. I'm talking about the Father has now made you his child. The Father loves you specifically, not generally. This isn't God just loves the world. This is God loves Sam. This is God loves Eileen. God loves Julie. God loves Allie. You fill in your name. God loves me. And he has made me his child. He has rewritten my birth certificate. And he has given it to me and says, you are not mine. It's been lavished on us. We are his children. We have been brought into his family. It is beyond our ability to understand. And it needs to hold you and secure you through whatever will come in your future. You can pull out that birth certificate and say, I belong to you. My name is written in your palms. They've been engraven your palms. And I don't know what I will be, but I am identified with Jesus. As he is, that's who I am. And all that he is, it's yet to be known, but we will see him, we will be like him when he appears. Verse 3, it says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, those who have this faith and belief in Jesus and know that as he is and when he appears, we will be like him. We long for that time. We wait for that. We know that that day will come. And when he appears, we're going to be just like him. And that motivates us. That pushes us on. That drives us to be the people who represent him now. It purifies us. It changes us. We, we, we look and say, I, I have his name. I am a, a child of God. I have been adopted. This love has been lavished on me. That's who I am. And it provokes us to live a life that brings honor to what he has called us to be. And that's what we shall be. Turn with me to Psalm 63. Listen to David's words as he talks about his God. And as you hear these words, understand something. That David longed to be in the place where we get to now be. Jesus said that prophets and kings have longed to see what you see, did not see it, to hear what you hear, have not heard it. We, we live in the promise that they were waiting for. And listen how David describes God, his God. He says, oh God, 
you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Has anyone ever felt like they are in a dry and weary land where there is no water? And we just can't wait for this redemption. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I love this script description. My soul will be satisfied with you as with the richest food. I love food. Have you ever gone and you've eaten some food and it's just been like, oh, yeah. This is so good. And the worst part is that you get full because you could just keep eating. The satisfaction that David talks about is, is with the best food. And so singing lips, he will praise him. Verse 6, he says, on my bed, I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Even when the darkness comes, I remember you. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The only way that David could say these things is if he knew this God whose love was better than life. John has given us what we need to recognize that God's hand holds us up. To understand that beneath us are the everlasting arms that do not fail. And if we leave here with anything this morning, may you recognize that as you put faith in him, Jesus, that God lavishes his love upon you. In fact, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. May our lives be purified in the knowledge that God loves us and he is molding and shaping us into the image of his son that we will be like him. And may you realize that God loves you, that the father loves you. Let's pray. Father, I, I feel that there are times where our words can only go so far and they're so far short of what 
you have done for us and who you are to us and what you mean to us. And even as David described, Lord, that you're able to satisfy us more than the richest food, that we long for you in a dry, desolate place where there is no water. Father, that we think about you in the watches of the night and that even in this desolate place you cover us still with the shadow of your wings and you hold us with your right hand. God, may we recognize this morning that your love has been lavished on us through your son, Jesus. And that you have brought us into your family and have considered us your sons, your daughters. And just as you see Jesus, you, you see us. So that we can come before you with confidence, even though you know us so well, you know our shortcomings, you do not look upon those shortcomings. You look at us with love and favor, as you did Jesus. God, how do we grasp that? And more importantly, God, if we are able to grasp that even a little bit, what should that do to our lives? How should that change us? How should that move us? Well, you tell us it should purify us. That as we wait for this redemption, as we anticipate your return, that this hope will purify our lives just as you, Jesus, are pure. And so, Lord, we recognize this truth that if we believe in your name, we are adopted as your children. And we don't know yet what that's going to look like, but we know when we see you, we will be like you. Lord, we look forward to that, and because of that, we desire to be like you now. For now we are your children. God, may we bear your name and bear it well. That we would be named with you, Christ, is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thank you, God. May this secure us through those difficult times. May we not stumble and fall when we go through the various trials that we go through. May your love hold us true and secure. Thank you for lavishing this love upon us. And we ask that we would honor you with the knowledge we have. In Jesus' name.